It's November 27, 2013. You're listening to the Backhand Shelf Podcast. Today we're joined by Mr. Wendell Clark of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Down Goes Brown of Grantland.com. We're going to talk a little bit about concussions in hockey with Mr. DGB and with uh, Wendell. We're going to talk about Craft Hockeyville and a whole lot more, so let's get to her. Welcome to the Backhand Shelf Podcast. I am joined today by Sean McIndoe, a.k.a. Down Goes Brown. Sean, how are you today? I'm doing good. Yeah, so you have a little bit of break uh, working for an American company there, do you? Yeah, this is one of the uh, nice bonuses that I didn't really think about when I signed on with the U.S. website. Is uh, Apparently it's Thanksgiving down there this week, and so they're all uh, taken off. And uh, I'm expected to as well, so I Don't, do what I'm told. Yeah, well, hey, I, I'm sure you can uh, work that into your busy schedule, the doing nothing thing. Yeah. Um. So later on in the show, we're we're talking to Wendell Clark, and through the magic of technology, that has already happened. I've already chatted with him, and I asked him the question that you recommend I asked on Twitter, and I actually hadn't seen this video till you sent it to me today. Um, basically, it's Wendell Clark taking a slap shot at Curtis Joseph's head. The game is 5 nothing. Uh, I mean, he's on a 2-on-1. It basically looks like he's doing it for sport, right? A little bit. I, there's always been that suspicion that, uh, you know, 5 nothing in a game 7. And, and the other thing is that he does it with a slap shot. And if you remember Wendell Clark's career, he virtually never took slap shots. He right. had that fantastic wrist shot that, uh, that he could just laser beam it in the top corner. So I can't remember him ever taking a slap shot other than the time he wound up. Uh, and drilled Curtis Joseph right between the eyes. If you had to guess, what do you think his answer was? Did he mean to do it or no? Um, I would be willing to bet that he probably gave you one or two words of uh, non-denial denial. Um, yeah, he, he ended up, you know, I will save it for everyone listening at home. I, I won't uh, give away his answer just yet, but um, it is it is an interesting answer. So um, was he your your favorite player growing up? Was he the guy? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I was a diehard Leafs fan growing up, so... Uh, um, you know, I had, I had my various favorites, but from the moment that he showed up, that was really right around the time I was, I guess, nine years old when he got drafted. And so I'd been watching sports for a couple of years, but that was right around the, you know, the age where you really start to get into it and start to figure out what's going on. And when he showed up at the, those first couple of years and he was just flying around, hitting everyone, fighting everybody, scoring goals. Um, it was, uh, it was something else. And I, that kind of set the bar for me as a fan and, uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure that we've ever really seen anything quite like it since. It's funny he didn't really want to talk about the ridiculousness of his legacy, but it's I mean it's mythic at this point in Toronto. It's I've never seen I've never been in a sports town where someone is so universally revered. It's insane. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean part of that is is the context. I mean if people don't really understand. If you're not a Leafs fan and you weren't in Toronto around that time, you, you're you're not going to get it because you're going to look at the stats and and that sort of thing. You're going to go, well, okay, yeah, he was a good player, uh, but this you know it wasn't like he was a superstar. He wasn't a Hall of Famer, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, I just remember growing up in the, you know, even in the early 80s when I didn't really understand what was happening, uh, just, you know, talking to older kids or to grown-ups and that sort of thing and, and being told that, you know, this is this Harold Ballard era and there was no hope and the Leafs were a joke and they would always be a joke. And yeah. not only were they a joke, but they were a joke that could get pushed around and, uh, you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't something, you know, I, whenever a little six- or seven-year-old me would tell a grown-up that I was a Leafs fan, they kind of shake their heads like, why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. You still have time. In, in their defense, and, good point. Yeah, and then, and then Wendell comes along and, and suddenly... 
uh, you've you've got something to be excited about, and it's just you know one of those things. It's it's the timing. It's just like the the playoff run in '93. It was about the timing, um, and just everybody getting caught up in it. And uh, and he was he was entertaining as hell. I mean, you you, you can't show me a player uh, with whose highlight reel is is as much fun and as entertaining as his was. It was just a you know it was a great time to be a fan, and we probably will never see it again because. These days, uh, you know, a player comes in playing like that, the reaction would probably be very different. Yeah, but, uh, I bet his course he's bullshit. That's what I bet. Um, yeah, he's uh, he definitely was the came in as sort of the the savior at the right time, and that definitely matters a lot to developing fans and all that. So um, anyway, he uh, he definitely was a, a nice guy and treated us nicely. So we we're happy to have him. Um, one thing that you and I have in common is an interest in the uh, NHL's concussion lawsuit, which just came out uh, ten players have filed against the NHL basically saying that the NHL concealed um, you know, just, I shouldn't say concealed, but the NHL knew the, the the dangers of concussions out there and didn't accurately portray them to players, uh, almost buried them a little bit, and so players now are finding they have long-term effects and the NHL should be on the hook. We know the NFL just went through this, so um, I mean, would you say that's an accurate assessment of what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's basically it, and this is it's the very early stages. We knew this was coming at some point. Uh, as soon as the NFL uh, uh, lawsuit uh, came down, uh, you knew that, uh, I mean, frankly, I think every sports league is going to deal with this on sub-level, but hockey was the one that really jumped out as the next candidate. And uh, it, You know, it's early, and uh, it, like most lawsuits, uh, when they're early on, they, they kind of cast a very wide net, and they try to uh, get everything in there. But, yeah, they've they've essentially gone after everything from what the league knew or should have known what they told the players, um, and also just the culture of the league. I mean, there's they, they talk in the lawsuit about a culture of violence and how the NHL uh, essentially condones fighting and how it encourages violent hits and uh, and fights through things like Don Cherry and video games and what have you. Um, so it's uh, you know it's quite extensive, mm-hmm. and uh, now we're at the point where we we kind of sit back and wait and see what what the next steps are. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about that. And one interesting thing that you mentioned in there is what the league should have known. Um, You know, you sort of wonder what the expectation is for a league to, you know, do the research and find out the dangers. And it sucks that it's all coming down, but it's impossible to deny that there was a culture of uh, sort of toughness and fighting and violence. Um, You know, one thing that, uh, you know, this just came out sort of last night, so it's not a part of your post, but my dad's involved. Um, he's one of the names now that's uh, filed with these groups. And, and one thing that I know behind the scenes a little bit is that there are a couple factions of players that were working with different lawyers about coming forward with this. And it was a sort of only a matter of time. And I do expect a huge number of NHLers uh, to get involved. Um, do you think that this will affect the league going forward? Like, you know, the debate about fighting. Does this hurt the, the cause of fighting going forward? What effects do you see from this? Yeah, I mean, it's, the, the effects are going to be wide-ranging, and, and I, I say that assuming uh, that this does, you know, wherever this winds up, that it does go on for a little while. Remember, the NFL case uh, took, uh, it was roughly two years uh, from when the first suit was filed to when there was a settlement. It was a settlement. It wasn't like they had been through the entire court process. They were going through mediation, and there was still a long road to go if they hadn't settled at that point. Uh, as far as the NHL, yeah, I mean, it, it puts them in a difficult situation right now. We know that over the years, 
Uh, they've been doing things to try to make the game safer, to try to reduce the number of concussions. I'm sure they will continue that, whether they do anything radical, uh, like go ahead and, and try to eliminate fighting, as an example. Uh, that might be a little bit difficult to do right now, because then the players are going to say, well, see, there you go, you should have done this earlier. Uh, but this could wind up being the sort of thing that does force the league into making some changes like that. That is part of the lawsuit right now. The lawsuit is asking not just for damages and not just for medical care for players, but it's asking for the league to be mandated to make certain changes. Now, if it comes down to a settlement, are the players going to stand hard on those changes versus getting as much money as they can? Probably not. But for now, it's something that the league uh, has to be thinking about. And it is. It's, it's wide-ranging. It's not just fighting. The lawsuit uh, talks about body checking and uh, you know, essentially says that the level of hitting in the game is, is still too dangerous. So is that something that the league starts to look at? At How far can a league go without fundamentally altering the, the fabric of the game? And it's the same sort of debate that the NFL has been having for years and that the NFL eventually uh, was able to mostly sidestep uh, by reaching the settlement that they did. Yeah, it's it's funny uh, us having this chat and the contrast of uh, you know talking about Wendell Clark and how much you loved him for the you know the hitting and the fights and and really uh, that was a huge part. That's a huge draw for the NHL. And don't think the NHL is oblivious to that. We haven't come so far as a culture that all of a sudden people don't enjoy watching fighting. They do, and the NHL is aware of that. And I think the NHL will make an effort to keep that in the game. And it's interesting with the NFL. Uh, it felt like the, the whole settlement thing, it, that they didn't want to go to court and have too much exposed or to talk about it long. They just settled to get out of the way to me. You know, it's almost like, let's avoid any problems before they happen. And I know, you know, talking with my dad and a lot of uh, um, people in his similar situation, you know, a lot of people have gone for brain scans and checks because there are noticeable personality changes in some of these guys, and some of them really do struggle after hockey. And, um, you know, I, I'm obviously, uh, I've got some bias in this, but it it just seems like a really interesting situation. And uh, I wonder, my thought is that the, I wonder if the NHL won't do the same thing, throw money at the problem so it doesn't get bigger down the road. Yeah, I mean, I, I really feel like the NFL has given us a roadmap here of, of what to expect, at least in the early stages. I mean, the, there won't be a settlement uh, especially quickly. I mean, first we're going to go through certain hoops. Uh, uh, the, you know, First of all, we have to even see what other lawsuits come out. I, one of the, the people I was talking to yesterday told me that, hey, now that this one law firm has done the hard work of putting together this 50-page brief, it's very easy for other law firms to come along uh, to essentially copy and paste a lot of it and launch lawsuits of their own. So we'll probably see more and more uh, and then at some point they all get combined one way or another. Well, that's that's exactly it. that's my understanding is that there is a bunch already, and this was basically a just uh, basically someone getting in a comment section and saying first, you know, yep. someone just getting in there first, and then they'll figure it out from there. Yeah, and, and absolutely. So well, there'll be more and more players, more and more lawyers, but eventually you get to the stage that the NFL did, where you've got. Um, you know, for example, uh, uh, if, if it's declared class action, now you've got instead of 10 players or 20, you're talking about hundreds, even thousands. And the, the lawsuit of the NHL uh, that was filed this week basically says that there could be as many as 10,000 players that are affected here. So uh, the NHL will do certain things. They will argue, I'm sure, uh, that the CBA covers this already and that basically the players don't have a right to sue because anything to do with player safety is already covered by collective bargaining. Uh, the NFL was in the process of trying that argument. I don't think it ever got to a conclusion because they settled first, but um, eventually the NHL will get a feel for how the case is going, and if there is writing on the wall for them to read, they will read it, and then it will become time to, to talk about whether there's a possibility of a settlement, and that's when it will get 
especially interesting because you look at the NFL. The NFL settled their suit for $765 million, and everybody immediately said that they got off easy. Oh, I yeah, absolutely they did. $765 million for the NFL uh, is a drop in the bucket. I mean, the, the, the amount of revenue that that league brings in, uh, it was virtually unanimous that Roger Goodell and, and, and the, the lawyers for the NFL had done a great job uh, really mitigating any damage that could have could have been done to the league. Now you look at the NHL's case. Um, if the NHL, if that's a starting point of a settlement for the NHL, seven hundred sixty-five million to the NHL is a big deal. Yeah, I don't uh, think that's a starting point though, just based on league revenue and general interest, though, is it? Well, it's it not not for league revenue and interest, but the flip side is the lawyers are going to say, look, we're dealing with roughly the same number of players that the NFL was. We're dealing with roughly the same medical issues, same, same damages damage yeah. that was done. It's not our fault that you guys don't have the revenue that that other league did. Great point. Now, you know, when it comes time to negotiate a settlement, obviously that'll be taken into account. But as a starting point, I, I you know I don't think the lawyers are going to come in with a lot of sympathy for the NHL just because they have less revenue than the NFL does. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. It, it certainly it's completely unrelated to the league. Um, you know, I, I'm an idiot. That's a really good point. Um, all right, well we'll move on from that because law talk is a uh, not all that fun all the time, and it's really depressing, and people are hurt, and money sucks. Okay, um, so one thing that I'm interested in. Is the New York Islanders? And uh, did you happen to see their new jerseys, their stadium series? I, I, yeah, I just did. But you talk about moving from one depressing topic to another. We're getting. We oh, come on! You don't like the new Islanders? They're jerseys? not bad. They're, I mean, my expectations have been so lowered uh, by the <laughs> Islanders, and and you know, and I've also I'm on the record uh, saying that I'm, uh, you know, I I'm tired of this song and dance that we always go through, where teams release new jerseys new designs, new logos, and everybody just craps all over them automatically. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of them are okay. And, I, you know, I think these, these ones are, uh, they're, they're not bad. They, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not fish sticks. They're, uh, they're, uh, they're reasonable. And they're, they're also fairly simple, which I think is important. I mean, I, I've advanced what I call the, the, uh, the pencil case test, which is basically can a little kid draw it on a pencil case then it's a good logo. Now, you know, if they, if they need a palette of 36 colors and they need to be able to do all the, then that's no good. Then you've gotten a little, uh, you've gone overboard on the design consultants. But this one's a, they're, they're, they're not bad. I, you know, I, I, I give it a B minus. Yeah, it's funny is the, the pencil case test. I feel like if you had like a eight year old drunk on wine with a bunch of crayons, he would make the Minnesota Wild logo. I feel like that would basically nail it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if you had a kid that, you know, hadn't slept in a long time and you told him like, draw me a picture of a coyote with a hockey stick and they were just you know then you'd have like the original coyotes like aztec themed uh, <laughs> you can't there. sleep until it's done you little bastard and, but incidentally i should i should point out the one exception to the pencil case test is obviously the the toronto maple leafs because nobody in canada can actually draw maple leaf properly and they all look awful when we try but we, we do our best it's close enough it's almost like uh i forget if it was van gogh or but i think it was da vinci maybe it was like the the toughest thing to draw freehand is just a perfect circle it's sort of like that with the maple leaf and when you when when you mess up it looks so childlike like there's no way to sort of mess yeah. it up it just looks really bad yeah especially you know when you're older you're like you have the plan you're like all right i know it's 11 points i know we're gonna go you know we're gonna go through it four through and then you you get halfway through and it's like this is just not going well at it, all. it's like being a dog or something it's like a, i'm a human being I, sh- I have forethought i have the ability to plan events i should be able to antici- just draw this well but for some reason i can't yeah. um my take on the islanders jersey is that it's quite sharp i think the idea with the uh the stadium series 
is to separate themselves from the winter classic and the nostalgia and throwbacks and go to a more modern look. And I think this one looks, you know, it's, there's some diagonal design. There's some uh, steely silver in there. I kind of like it. I don't know. Um, yeah. The uh, the other topic uh, you and I were going to hit on, the uh, the salary cap in the NHL, going back to a little more drier topics, um, it's supposed to go up quite a bit. Did you happen to see the estimates? Uh, I mean, I've, I've seen various estimates kicking around, and obviously with the news this week, uh, as far as the New Deal, it's, it's going to go up even more now. Uh, yeah, according to, I was just reading uh, Elliot Friedman's 30 Thoughts before I came on, and uh, you know, according to him, we don't see the impact from this current deal, uh, like the, this, this new Rogers deal that was just announced, uh, for another additional year. It doesn't kick in until uh, uh, 2015-16. So, uh, but the, th- the thinking is that by next year, the cap goes up to where it was before the lockout, uh, and then from there, it, uh, it, you know, it shoots way up. And you know, there was talk about uh, you know, does it, how quickly will it hit, hit $80 million? I know James Myrtle was... was Saying you know is it going to hit a hundred million by the end of the CBA and and he seems to think that that's quite possible so uh, uh, you know it, it's clearly just going to keep flying upwards and uh, you know let let's be honest this league does a lot of things wrong but they have figured out how to really maximize that revenue machine and uh, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's going to be flying up and the, the you know the question is going to be uh, you know what's what's that impact look like for the various teams because if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs or the New York Rangers or the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, it's not very hard to figure it out. I mean, if the cap goes up, that's how much you're going to spend. But what happens if you're one of these uh, low-income teams or middle-of-the-pack teams where you're having to either hit a floor or you're having to hit your own internal budget and you see all these other teams pulling away from you? It's, uh, you know, more revenue isn't always good news for these teams. And it's, yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Well, that's, you know, I, I'm sitting here holding uh, James Myrtle's tweet in front of me that basically shows that by 2016-17, so that's three seasons from now, uh, the, the cap could be 80.2. These are estimates, of course, but 80.2 million. Um, hitting 90, you know, just under 90 in 2018-2019 and then getting to 103.3 million in 2021. So that's, you know, whatever that is, eight years from now or something like that. So my concern is a New York Islanders fan is I don't know if the Islanders can stay in the league because in that last year the uh, you know he his estimate of the salary floor is seventy six three so we're looking at the floor going from fifty to fifty five in a couple years here and then up to sixty only you know another year later I don't think the New York Islanders are the type of team that wants to spend that kind of money I think they're you know they're barely above the floor as is I just can't see them making any money or wanting to participate beyond that. Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 hard to say, especially with the Islanders, who knows what the Brooklyn move is, is going to do to them, but um, I really feel like that was one of the underrated stories of the last CBA and the last lockout, was the fact that they really didn't address the issue with the floor. Uh, you know, they, they made it a little more elastic than it was before, but not by much, and uh, this floor does keep rising uh, as, as the extra revenue comes in, and obviously, extra revenue, especially when it's in the form of a TV deal, that does go into the pockets of each of the 30 teams, uh, so, you know, it, it, it helps a little bit, but yeah, you're right, if you're a floor team, hey, it's great if you get $3 million bucks from this new TV deal, if that $3 million has to go right out the door again, uh, it, it's, as far as paychecks to the players, it's not really helping you all that much. Yeah. I even look at a team like, you know, I'm up here in Ottawa where the, the one of the big stories of this year is that they're no longer even trying to spend to the cap. They seem to have this internal budget that they're sticking to. Well, what happens when you've got an internal budget and you're trying to compete with the Maple Leafs and the Canadians whose budget is limited only by the salary cap? What actually happens is it, they, they start to pull away on you even more. And it, it, that's got to be frustrating to be, uh, especially as a Senator fan, you're a fan of a Canadian team. You're supposed to be a cap team. 
uh, and yet there you are lagging behind. Yeah, and you know, you you talk about the money from the TV deal going to these owners, but I can't help but feel like you know they're in this to make money, and when that money goes in their jeans, it doesn't necessarily mean they want to put it back in the business. So it certainly is going to be interesting to see. Where this all goes from here. So, without any further ado there, uh, Sean, I think we're going to head on to uh, Mr. Wendell Clark. So, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That was Sean McIndoe of Grantland.com. You can follow him on Twitter at DownGoesBrown. So, let's move on here and uh, talk to Mr. Wendell Clark. Mr. Clark, how are you today? I'm very good. Good, good. Well, uh, we uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us, and I know uh, you wanted to talk a little bit today about Craft Hockeyville, and we do too, but I thought before we jump into that, um, I'd just ask you some general hockey questions if you got a little bit of time. Sure. Absolutely. All right, well, the uh, the first question is, since I moved to Toronto here, um, I've been kind of blown away by your legacy here in Toronto. I mean, it, it really has been mind-blowing. You are the most famous thing on earth, which, you know, of course, you're very deserving of uh, such a following. I, uh, I just wanted to know. I put this question out uh, to my follow- my Twitter followers, and, uh, you know, what what do you want to hear Wendell Clark talk about? And here's a, a sampling of the questions people wanted to ask you. Um, ask him about his thoughts on Thor and Gladiator. Ask him if Chuck Norris is his cousin. Ask him if he's ever hit one of those punch machines at a bar, and if so, was he allowed back in after he broke it? Has it gotten a little bit ridic- ridiculous to you? <laughs> no, I, that's the first I've heard of all those questions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can imagine that uh, after all your time here, it's uh, you're a pretty well-known man about town, eh? Yeah, no, well, you, you, you get to be a Toronto Maple Leaf playing, uh, you know, the bulk of my career in Toronto. Uh, hockey is pretty much central here in the city. Yeah, have you, uh, have you ever come across anyone in town uh, who's named their son after you? I, there's been a few. I don't think I've. I don't think I've got a first name yet. A few second names. A lot of pets. Yeah. No. I know. Uh, I'm familiar but... with a pug named Wendell Bark, which is uh, why I thought that would come up. Um, but yeah, currently your current role there uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're a community ambassador involved in public relations. So uh, you're watching a lot of NHL these days. Is that safe to say? Yes. See a lot of hockey. Yeah. Can you can you give us your thoughts on the the Maple Leafs? Obviously, no team is perfect. Can you give us a, a like and a dislike about the current Leafs team? Well, I think we've had a great start. I think it's uh, the team knowing it a little bit from the inside has got a great togetherness. I think both goaltenders have been outstanding uh, to date, and that gives us a chance. They give us a chance to win every night, and I think that's given us more confidence, and we've got a pretty good record because of it. Uh, I think uh, we as a team have to learn that we can't rely on our goaltending 100% as much as we are right now and have to start playing a little better um, in, in front of them, because uh, there's going to be times and games that it's not going to be uh, where they get to win it for. So uh, I think those are all growing points. But I think I think uh, we've had a pretty good start, and hopefully we can stay healthy uh, for most of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as far as the uh, the downside of the team goes, do you do you feel like there's something in particular that needs to be stepped up going forward? Well, I, I think it's just. Uh, they have to find a way to do it as a team. Uh, you, you know, in the cap world, you're not replacing things as easy as sure. people think you can do. So you have to do it from within. And I think they have the capabilities because you've been getting such good goaltending that that really helps you solidify other things easier yeah. uh, because your goaltending's been good. So hopefully that that continues. And you know, they got to work uh, definitely on, uh, on on making it hard to play. This is a tough. Uh, the toughest home building to play in is Toronto because there's always 10 players from out of town, usually on an out of town team coming in uh, and Ontario is their home province. So it's like another home game for half the team that's coming to play you. Yeah. So 
you have to make sure it's always hard on them and they don't uh, have an easy night. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sorry how you feel a little bit about, uh, or sorry, uh, not Wendell, it's the David Clarkson as the Wendell Clark uh, 2.0 sort of thing. Um, how do you think he's fared so far? And, you know, how, how do you think he's going to do the rest of the way? I think you'll gradually see more and more out of David. He had a, a tough start just because of the 10 game suspension. So it's tough to, to take, uh, you know, come into the season and you take the first 10 games and you're in shape, but uh, you don't get to be a part of those first 10 games. So your timing is off. And, and so he's just kind of, uh, I think, more uh, getting into the groove now. And I think you'll start to see a lot, a lot more out of him. He's a, like I say, a great team player, really. Uh, has his heart on his sleeve when you're watching him in the games, and I think he has another dimension to our team that we needed uh, in physical play and aggressiveness, and I think he can start chipping in with, with more points, but I think that comes with timing. Uh, you know, missing the first 10 games uh, was hard for him. Yeah, absolutely. So what what is your, could you explain a little bit your current role with the team? Uh, you are still employed by the Leafs, is that right? I'm still employed by the Leafs, ambassador role. Daryl Sittler and I do the same, representing the the team at different corporate and charity events. You're right. Do you, do you have any desire to be more involved in the future, whether that be a coach or manager, uh, even, you know, not necessarily with the Leafs, but in the NHL? Um, not not right now, no. I'm uh, basically raising a family and staying out of trouble and and, uh, and just kind of uh, associated with the team at this point. That's where I'm at. Right on. Well, the uh, the other thing that you're involved with is the Craft Hockeyville, um, and that was something I wanted to ask you a, a little bit about. Um, it, it's my understanding that this is making a return today. Could you tell us, uh, fill us in a little bit on that? Yeah, Craft Hockeyville is is kind of a a jump start today. It's been around for seven years, but uh, it really starts uh, January first. But uh, you can start. Uh, you can go to crafthockeyville.ca and start. Uh, you know, for fans and want to get their communities involved to hopefully be a chance, get a chance to win them uh, a part of a million dollars uh, to 16 communities uh, uh, to win some money to help refurbish your arenas. It's our arenas in our country that, uh, you know, is our life brand uh, for our hockey and uh, uh, our way of life in Canada here. So uh, Kraft has done a great job in, in uh trying to put life and keep life in our arenas. It is such a focal point for us here in Canada, and, and uh, we, we need to keep keep our arenas in, in as good a shape as possible so it's it's a spot where we can raise our kids and, and families uh, have still have fun going to the rinks and, and doing what we do best is play hockey. Yeah, and that was, I think, uh, I read the press release and there was a survey, something like 90-plus percent of Canadians consider their local rink to be sort of a social hub. Is that correct, something like that? Yeah, no, it's yeah. Ninety ninety one percent is is basically the social hub. Uh, that's uh, as parents we're we're hanging around usually two to three kids at a rink in different directions, and you're with other parents at other age levels. Uh, you're you're there. That's that's your hub for you know probably two to four hours, four days a week. You're in an arena uh, hanging out with other people. So the better shape our arenas are in, the more fun it is to hang out as a parent. Uh, it's better for our kids uh, to be in great facilities to play hockey in, so it, it's a big part of our life. For sure, and actually, isn't it? I think it's a big part of your life as well. I've heard you have a rink on your own property, do you not? I have a rink uh, in my own uh, property, yes. Uh, it, I got spoiled, uh, didn't want to shovel snow anymore, so I put a <laughs> roof on the outdoor rink, so uh, it's, uh, I run some charity events at it, and, and basically kids uh, come and play, so it's uh, a spot that just, uh, it, it's, like, uh, it's like my... Uh, Living room, I guess, would be my rink. Yeah. Do you uh, do you skate much these days? 
I, I don't do a whole lot of skating. I coach kids hockey with my son's team, and, and that's about it. I know i got to get in shape for the outdoor game that's coming up against Detroit. They'll be ready for us. <laughs> Are you looking forward to that? That's, that's going to be a pretty fantastic event. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a great weekend starting with the, you know, you got the alumni game, two alumni games, there's college and junior games, and then you have the big finale at the college there with 110,000 people. So it's going to be a great weekend in Michigan uh, just playing and celebrating hockey. Yeah, I imagine you probably uh, miss getting to get out in the ice, especially just the uh, the, the competition factor. How, how competitive do you expect the alumni game to be there? I, you know what? It's going to start out probably all uh, pat in the back and fun and way to go and good to see us. And as the game gets closer to the third period, if it's still close, you're going to see the competitiveness of the alumni game, I bet you, rise up quite a bit by the end of the third period. Right on. Um, one bonus question I have to ask you before we, we let you go, Wendell, is uh, this is, comes from uh, a man that goes by the name Down Goes Brown. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but... Uh, We've established that you're a good guy here, Wendell. You're, you're doing good things for the community. You're helping out. He wants to know, uh, all right, 1993, second round of playoffs, up 5 nothing on a 2-on-1. You meant to put that one into Cujo's mask, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I just didn't know where I was going. I told Basil <laughs> McCray at the time I, I would have rather had the, the third goal than to take Curtis's mask off. I was just a bad aim. Uh, okay, I don't know if, uh, if I believe you or not, but... Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today and uh, wish you all the best of luck with Craft Hockeyville, and we'll definitely help you spread the word if we can. All right, thank you. Mr. Wendell Clark, actually, before the uh, the show, we talked to him a little bit about uh, my dad and his relationship. Apparently, they were almost once traded for each other, so you learn something new every day. Um, one other thing I just wanted to emphasize with uh, the Craft Hockeyville thing, which is always kind of cool for Canadians here, um, they're invited. Canadians everywhere now are invited to start preparing their submissions to vie for the title of Craft Hockeyville in 2014. Uh, with the nomination period opening January 1st, and um, submissions will be accepted until February 9th. So, um, for rules, program uh, details, and all that sort of stuff, you can check out CraftHockeyville.ca. You can follow them uh, on Twitter at, at @Hockeyville, and, and they're on Facebook too. Uh, you know, Craft Hockeyville, not too tough to find for you there. So, thank you very much for joining us this week. I'm Justin Bourne. You can follow me on. Twitter. Twitter at JT Bourne. And uh, thanks for listening to the Backhand Shelf Podcast. Hey, if you got something to say, send us an email. Backhandshelf at thescore.com. Backhand Shelf.